electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. The 10-year dropping below 4% for the first time since July. The dollar hitting levels not seen since August. Should investors fear these drops or cheer them? We'll go inside the numbers. Plus, Bank Bonanza, the brokers, regionals, and money center names all ripping higher this week, this month, and this quarter. And you won't believe this, but they've just erased all their post-SVB losses. Is there still time to bet on the banks? And later, we'll break down the December to remember for the housing trade. Take a look at today's monster move in, in Moderna and find out why Foot Locker has some serious pep in its step. I'm Melissa Lee, coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Steve Grasso, Karen Feinerman, Dan Nathan, and Chris Verone from Strategus, a Baird company. We start off with the pivot party rolling on on Wall Street. The Dow hitting another all-time high during the session, ending the day with a record close. The S&P and NASDAQ also eking out gains, though the major indices all close well off their highs of the day. The big winner just might be the small cap Russell 2000, which jumped nearly 3%, touched its highest level since August of last year. But the real story of the market may not with the stock rally, but with the dollar's drop. The Dixie falling another percent today to hit its lowest level since July. It is now down more than 5% from its October highs. So what does this dollar decline say about the markets and the economy? Uh, Chris, you brought this up on our yeah. midday call. We thought it was really interesting. The dollar's telling a maybe a different story from the stock market. Yeah, I think it's ironic as we kind of get this pivot from Powell you have the dollar just falling out of bed here, slicing through 103 on DXY. We've certainly seen Euro firm. We've seen yen. I think that's the really big story from a macro sense. Is this the market's way of telling us that on the other side of this, either inflation actually reaccelerates and we're pivoting into that, or is the market saying global growth may be turning up here? It's one of those two, and I'm not sure it's the best backdrop ultimately for the Fed into 24. And I think what's important when you look at what this weak dollar story has really catalyzed. It's a lot of the value-oriented parts of the market. I also think it emphasizes this idea that if the dollar is starting to turn, every next incremental dollar does not have to come to the U.S. Mm -hmm. It's not lost on us that what made new highs before S&P, the the DAX did, the uh, Italian index, the Spanish index. So there's some global strength that I think has gone very under the radar. Weak dollar certainly supports it. So IWM, I mean, that move has really just been extraordinary since it was really down uh, 160-something, not uh, four and a half weeks ago, something like that, and now touched uh, 200 today, which is kind of amazing. It's still, I think there's still room to go because that divergence between the spiders and the IWM in terms of price-to-earnings multiple is was astounding. It still is very wide. You know, there's a lot being said about, well, small caps have not as good balance sheets. If that's the case, and we are with a lower interest rate environment, that's better, obviously, for the balance sheets. Um, but I, and and if, if we don't have a recession, that's probably good for them, too. But I just think that the market was so in love with the Magnificent Seven that ignored everything else. There is a lot of value here. If you look at the... Uh, 25, four or five year history of the IWM. It has outperformed the spiders except for the last period that we've been in. So I think I think we could see a convergence continue. 
So I, I would think that the weak dollar is probably a, a, a symbol of the Fed easing. So I, I would have thought that that would go along with the Fed easing. So I think I'm not I'm not worried about that. Um, IWM, 40 percent are unprofitable companies. So you would think that if the Fed eases, they have a better chance of surviving, not, not being profitable, but surviving. So I'm, I'm not really shocked by either. And then going into the last month of the year, what do people want to buy? What has not run, not what has already run? Yeah. I mean, this really sort of ignited the trades or has ignited the trades where financing was needed. Anything yeah. that where you had to borrow money, all of a sudden, like they, that all looks good here. Yeah, it looks good right now as long as the economy is in uh, like good footing. And, you know, I'll just say this about the Russell 2000. I mean, you know, it has rallied more than 20 percent off its lows in the last month and a half. It's still down 20 percent from its all time highs made in Q4 of 2021. And it was one of the first sectors to turn when the Fed indicated that they were going to start raising interest rates. So, uh, you know, they let on the way uh, down and, and and again, they're leading on the way up. But let's just see. To me, it looks like it's in a bit of an equilibrium. And again, it might be that rates have run too far to the downside in the near term to uh, Chris's point about what the weak dollar might ignite going forward. I mean, Jeffrey Gunlock, we were talking about it last night on the desk. I mean, he seems a little bit worried about, you know, inflation picking back up. That being said, look at where crude oil is. Look at where nat gas is. You know, if you think about and I'm just going to bring this back to large caps, right, which are, are, are very exposed to the dollar and and a lot of these input costs, when you have a dollar move the way it has in the last two days and you were an analyst and you're trying to think about the economic landscape and the visibility that the companies that you follow are in the new year, you say to yourself, two and a half percent in two days for a multinational, you know what I mean, that gets, say, more than half their sales outside of the U.S. And especially if some of these parts outside the U.S. are starting to inflect, let's say, before we are, at least that maybe that's what their stock market. Well, that should buoy earnings. Okay, so like I get all that. Lower rates should buoy earnings. So if you're looking, FactSet has, I think, expected 12% year-over-year earnings growth for 2024. They're expecting less than 1% earnings growth this year. They were up 4% last year. So let's just say that 12% is high, but with the dollar down and rates down and and other input costs, maybe that's how you get with more cost-cutting the like. Maybe that's how a 19.5 multiple, if you look at consensus, is about 245 for earnings next year with a 4,700 S&P. It's 19.5 times. It's one or two turns over the 10-year average or something like that. So I can see why people are saying maybe we're not that expensive, especially if you take out those top 10 names. Right. I'm not buying yeah. them here. I'm just telling yeah. that right now. <laughs> Dan, well, I'm just making the case. <laughs> what I think is a little ironic in this conversation is it was actually higher rates that helped a lot of these companies earn more. They got a return on cash. And you begin to wonder, is the market actually discounting a change uh, in that uh, function? What's a little unusual about when this is all happening, if you look historically, December is typically not a month for big change. It's typically a month that resembles the past part of the year. You reward the winners and you sell the losers for tax reasons. That has not happened here. For six weeks now, there's been all these little subtle hints of change. It's become certainly more overt the last uh, several days. We see it with equal weight S&P over cap weight. Does that make you more skeptical of these moves then? Or you think, oh, it's different this time around? You know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of in the five, six, eight weeks um, in November and December of 2021 where you began to see value flash some signs of life. And it didn't make any sense in context of the macro environment. And it set off this chain where, vac- where value would work uh, into 2022. I think there's some glimpses of that right here. I, I, in the context of this is actually a rotation that started weeks ago, right. maybe interpreting the market's move yesterday and into today isn't such a crazy thing. Maybe it's not. I don't think it, I don't think it is. I don't uh, think it's such a crazy thing. I think it's just an <laughs> extension of it. And I think it was so outsized with the MAG-7 
But, you know, to Dan's point, Dan said a whole bunch of stuff there that was positive, I think, for the market with oil coming in. And then he said, I don't believe any of it. Yeah, he doesn't. No, believe no, 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 no. He believes. No, I believe, I believe all of it. I don't think. That it's I think it's healthy. in the market right now. Right. I mean, I think it's in, in, yeah. in prices. Well, I, I think the U.S., we went from worrying about SPR and worrying about oil price to now uh, outputting oil at the, mo- at the highest level historically for the U.S. So that takes a huge headwind for the consumer and the markets. I mean, I think, you know, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. I also think what you're trying to say, which I agree with, is there's a level where tenure yields down is not an easing of financial conditions. It's a message, whoa, whoa, wait a second, something's wrong. Or there's a level on crude where it reflects demand, not supply. And I think using the market as the gauge for when those hypotheses are actually realized is important. I look at discretionary versus staples. That's my barometer of the economy. When discretionary is outperforming staples, you're generally in pretty good hands. That has largely been okay for much of the year. But I think that's going to be a very important tell on whether, Dan, some of the things you talk about, the market begins to respect. I guess the question here is, I mean, we've had a precipitous move in the 10-year yield in just the past couple of days, right? And we're now below, well below 4%. So what is that level where you're like, oh my gosh, what is going on here? And what is this saying about the economy and future growth? Where, where do you think we are there? Because three nine seems like great, amazing, amazing. Yeah, right now I don't know if it's I don't know if it's recession or if it's just okay. This finally we've been waiting for the pivot. However, this giant run we've had in the market since October, whatever twenty seventh or whatever it was, was on that premise, right? right. So that we will be at the news, end. Yes. Right. So I would would think that it's yeah somewhat of a sell the news. Um, that's sort of a, surprising to me the magnitude of this. I still come back to something that was an issue a long time ago. It doesn't seem to be anymore, which is we're going to start to see a lot of 10 years for sale, right? Mm -hmm. The government has to fund. Mm -hmm. And so that's not that far away that we're going to revisit this issue. Now, it is good that rates are down. They're going to owe less less interest. But nevertheless, supply-demand dynamic is still in force. So um, I I am sure Treasuries, which obviously was not the right place to be this week, um, but... um, I haven't covered. I haven't added. I'm not quite sure what to do. I'm surprised at the magnitude of this rally, though. I guess I guess it was because the the message that Powell sent was so right. un, unexpected. Well, we were talking about this. Why did he seem to be giving it away for free? Exactly. This I'm you know, you know I'm done. Two weeks ago, he didn't have. He was the polar opposite of this. He said, "We're not even thinking about thinking about." Cutting rates. And it confuses everyone. And this is my opinion that it's all posturing at a certain point. He wanted to talk the markets down and then to have 12 days later for him to pivot like that doesn't seem like it's 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 I'd rather have less transparency. You have to also remember that he's not necessarily speaking for himself when he's giving that press conference. He's speaking for the committee. So it could be that the committee is moving towards that, even though he may not personally be. I'd rather Probably no one speak that at that point. Then. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just a blackout. Uh, yeah. Well, let's uh, bring in the man who'll, who can answer all these questions here. Over the, the moves over the past day and a half, mm-hmm. begged the question, did Fed Chair Jay Powell send the right message to the markets? Steve Leesman joins us now. Steve, as Karen had, I mean, we were talking about this in the call today. Um, I, I don't know why he did it. I don't really get why you would give that away at this point. So... There's a lot of kind of postmortem going on here, and and I'm kind of uh, settling on a really weird answer, which is the PPI. And I think uh, Grasso's been around a long time. Melissa, you've been around a long time. Karen as well. Can't remember a time when the PPI has moved anything. 
what happened, I think in part, that PPI came in, and I made a pretty big deal of it, I have to say, because of the impact it will have on next week's PCE. Powell mentioned the PCE and the PPI even during the press conference yesterday. He also mentioned that because of what happened, the wholesale price index coming in below, I can't believe I'm telling you this story and somebody hasn't given me the hook yet, but in any event, um, the, 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 the PPI came in low. It caused people to reset the inflation number for next week to be lower. In fact, down in the two range, uh, maybe two and a half. He even said that the Fed had already calculated, go back and look at the transcript, the PCE next week at 3.1, which would be the lowest, but there's others on the street like JPM and others that may have even lower numbers than that uh, if you look at it on a three-month annualized basis. So the point would be, and by the way, to finish the story, he says in the press conference that some people came in and changed their forecast numbers for, this, for the um, SEP because of that number that morning. So... I think that part of it was overall the theme here is the um, the data changed. The data changed. There was a, a good PCE report last month. It, uh, the wholesale report was good. The, the inflation number, if the CPI number, if you take out the shelter, was good. It became untenable to not change policy. And I'll tell you another reason why. If you do the math, which is plus two, um, it's very simple math. If they didn't if they didn't change their policy now, they were going to be stuck with it until January, which means they would have not changed policy for six months. And this idea of, oh, look out, we're going to hike, six would have weeks. gotten to be a little silly. Would, would have gotten to be a little silly. So I think that's another reason. They had not moved since July. They would not have moved until January. So you couldn't stick around with the same policy. You had to tweak it. Now, another question you're asking with, did the market go too far and or did the Fed allow it to go too far? That's a different conversation. Do you want to have that? I mean, <laughs> Tomorrow I mean, night? What, what do you think? They just told me to rap. must have known. They just told me to rap. No, no, I'm going to keep asking you questions. Um, if, if anybody said, oh, if, if Powell indicated that a pivot was in store, what would the markets do? I mean, it's a no-brainer that you would say the markets would rally hard. And so right. don't you think that he's thinking, oh, my gosh, financial conditions have just loosened significantly. Rates went down precipitously. I mean, all these reactions were very yes. predictable. Yes. And yet it ha- he allowed it to happen when he didn't have now, to. Well, okay. How, how, well, okay. Let's go, let, let, let's go back and do a little of the tail of the tape here, Melissa. All the caveats were there, Right. We may, we may hike again if inflation doesn't come down. The, the, we expect the economy to moderate. We expect the job market to keep loosening. We expect this progress to go. And if it doesn't, to, to keep going, if it doesn't keep going, well, then we may have to do something else. He said all that stuff. Um, I don't know. First of all, let me tell you this. I agree with Grasso. It's hard to draw a line from his last public appearance two weeks ago to today. To me, that's difficult. I went back and reread that whole thing on the plane last night coming home. I couldn't get there, Steve. Um, so I do think there was a big change. I don't know if it was the committee, him leading the committee, the committee leading him. Something happened in between. Uh, Waller came out and spoke the truth. He said, you know, said the quiet part out loud. If, if, if inflation goes down, we have to cut. It is a big change. Mostly, by the way, these things get telegraphed one way or the other. There was a debate about whether Waller came out and did it on purpose or was it just off the cuff? I tend to think it was a little bit off the cuff in that regard. But in any event, these things tend to be telegraphed. I thought this change was going to happen next month. 
Yeah. I was going to go home and go out for drinks last night. I didn't have a chance <laughs> to do that. I guess you had to cancel your plans. I mean, some might, if you were a Fed skeptic, a real skeptic, Steve, you might think that the Fed felt like they might be behind the eight ball with this drop in PPI leading to a soft, much softer, eventually, PCI. And they've got to figure that they've got to pivot and they got to send this message really fast. Yeah, if you're, if you're Dan and you refuse to celebrate for even a single day and want to find something to worry about, that's the thing to worry about. Did they see something in the banking data? Is the 10-year being down telling you something uh, 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 more ominous about the outlook for the economy? Does the Fed see something coming down the pike that is worse? That is the thing you would worry about. You would also worry about the thing that you asked me about, Melissa. I completely agree. This notion of whether or not... Um, the Fed has now loosened financial conditions. By the way, that was the first text message I got from a, a billion-dollar uh, fund manager was, what is he thinking when it comes to f uh, financial conditions? That's the other side, and whether or not that has a negative effect on inflation. Those are the downsides, but you could also celebrate for 24 hours the Dow at a new high and interest rates coming down. So, Steve, 24 hours. the lower that's, that's PPI, I'm so, the, the lower PPI, do you attribute that to just efficiencies, productivity, deflation, some of the, you know, we had the uh, logistical nightmare last year. Do you attribute it to that or do you attribute it to pending recession or starting recession? I think, I think, I, I don't know about the last part of it, but all the other things you said, there is some productivity out there. There's an interesting productivity story. Uh, some Fed officials have started to think about this. It's too early to sort of say it's there definitively. Um, the other thing that's happening is um, trade margins are part, profitability and trade margins are part of the PPI. They've been coming in a bit. And so that's been something that's helped the PPI uh, or the whole, at the wholesale level. I'm also interested in this idea of whether or not we're breaking this kind of inflation culture that happened at the wholesale level and got passed on to the consumer level. If, if producers can't get the prices at the consumer level, they turn around to their suppliers and say, you know, sharpen your pencils, do better for me. I can't pass along another 5%. That breaks the cycle, Karen. And I'm wondering if that's what we've been seeing in what has been, by the way, a series of very low wholesale price increases. Steve, thank you. Always great to get your take. Steve Leesman. Okay, thanks. We've got a news alert here on RTX. Morgan Brennan's got the details. Morgan. Hi, Melissa. That's right. So leadership change at one of the largest aerospace and defense companies, RTX, the company formerly known as Raytheon Technologies, naming Chris Calio uh, to succeed Greg Hayes as CEO. This is a formal transition expected to be completed on May 2nd of next year. Hayes will continue to serve as executive chairman. Calio has been elected to the company's board of directors. A little context around this. Wall Street has been anticipating that we would get a succession plan announced here for some time. It's a long-planned transition. Calio elevated to COO and president in March of 2022 and was tasked with realigning RTX into three focused business units, uh, Pratt & Whitney, Collins, and Raytheon. He's a nearly 20-year veteran of the company, rising through the ranks via Pratt & Whitney, the engine business. But again, uh, a change for RTX as Greg Hayes steps aside next year and Chris Calio takes the reins as CEO. Melissa? All right, Morgan. Thanks, Morgan Brennan. 
Well, one of our traders says the dollar's breakdown is adding fuel to the metals fire. The XME, the metals and mining ETF, surging nearly 4% just today. Let's go off the charts with Chris here. Um, I guess weaker dollar, yeah. stronger metals makes sense. Well, I think it really catalyzes two things with weak dollar. And if we look at DXY, as we talked about, it really just blew through 103 on the downside. But remember, DXY is mainly euro. Look at all the other pairs, particularly some of the Asian emerging market pairs where you've seen considerable strength versus DXY. What I think it's catalyzed is a value trade. And a chart that we've been walking around with and showing as many clients as possible is the difference between large cap growth and value and small cap growth and value. The large cap growth value, as we know, is a week removed from basically being back at the highs. The small cap growth value index actually peaked back in June. It's been going straight down ever since. Why? When you look at what's in small value, you have a lot of financials, a lot of industrials. That has really catalyzed the shift towards a more value-oriented market down the cap scale. I think the second part of this is what it's done with the metals here. Uh, XME is the ETF, uh, as we all know. Um, Basically, a two-year breakout blew through 55 uh, over the last several days here. Uh, Good-looking chart. Uh, what's in XME? It's all the usual suspects. It's Freeport. It's Southern Copper. It's BHP uh, as well. One of our favorite names uh, in the group. Uh, Golden Cross, 50-day up through the 200 on on. BHP. And uh, if you want to look at the precious metals as well, I think the fact that gold held 1950 over the last several days and has come right back to the highs is another message that this weak dollar story has tentacles, uh, many areas uh, that we look. You said this is a 5,000 year high yeah. in gold. <laughs> I mean, our charts don't go back that far. We'll take your word for it. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> What's the trick? So, so actually, this, this is the first time, and, and, and I'll, I'll ask Chris this too, this is the first time where you see the gold miners not outperform the metal, where it's usually a, a three to one outperformance because they have the ability to say, hey, let's not mine anymore, pull back and throttle so they could be more effective. I don't know what this is telling me that the miners are not outperforming. They're underperforming. Anything? My suspicion is, and... Steve, you certainly know, you've been doing this a long time, that the gold stocks have been perennial underperformers relative to the metals. So let's start the conversation with that. But they do tend to work at least initially when gold starts to get going. The fact that they're not tells me this gold story is more of a macro play than it is some commentary on how great the industry is. And you know, I keep coming back to what is gold attempting to tell us? My suspicion is it's a commentary on U.S. dollar. The other thing about the U.S. dollar we didn't touch on is um, emerging market or not, uh, foreign markets, right? Some of the ones we look at. So for me, Mexico. Mexico is at a, I don't know, 10-year high mm. now. It's been an enormous move. But across the board, I mean, Brazil also. Yeah. Just uh, I, I think maybe it's time for them. Coming up, we're digging into some after-hours action shares of Lennar and Costco on the move after earnings and details from the quarters next. And a major move in Moderna, the pharma stock surging while some recent high flyers pull back. We'll tell you what's behind the moves. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. 
I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert for you on Lennar. Shares of the home builder lowered despite beats in the top and bottom line. Bertha Coombs is more on the quarter. Hey, Bertha. Hey, Melissa. Let's first start off with the fact that Lennar hit a historic high during the session. They beat on both the top and bottom line. Earnings coming in at 42 a share, well ahead of the estimate at 459. Revenues also well ahead at 10.97 billion. This route had been looking for more like 10 and a quarter. Gross margins, though, did miss at 24.2 percent. You know, with all of those mortgage incentives to entice buyers, but that resulted in a beat when it came to deliveries at 23,000. 795 and new orders up 32 percent to 17,366. Both of those were a beat. In the release, CEO Stuart Miller talked about those incentives. He said the economic environment shifted as interest rates rose for most of the quarter and then subsided. Higher interest rates tested home buyer sentiment, although purchasers remained responsive to incentives that enabled affordability. He added, Chronic supply shortage continued to result in housing demand outweighing short supply. Now, for 2024, he sees deliveries of about 80,000 new homes, but says we will not guide full year margins right now as interest rates, well, the environment is rapidly evolving, right? We've seen the 30-year mortgage rate now at uh, six, six and a quarter. Lenar shares hit that historic high during the session, along with the housing names following the Fed's pivot language and that mortgage rate sliding to a six handle. KB Homes and Toll Brothers also hit new highs. They're up, Melissa, about 13 percent since yesterday before that pivot. Lenar is going to hold its analyst call tomorrow morning at 11 a.m. Eastern, and we'll see whether you know mortgage rates slide by then. Back yeah. to you. Bertha, thank you. Bertha Coombs, a lot of these names, not just Lennar, hitting uh, new highs here. And, you know, you've got, what, City saying 100 basis points and cuts next year. J.P. Morgan saying 125. Uh, the list goes on and on in terms of how much loosening there will be in rates and in turn mortgage rates. At what point, we're sort of spitballing this. Right. Do home builders start feeling the pain just because existing homes start coming on the market because yeah. the market is loosening? Right. They've been in this extraordinary position of being the only supplier in town kind of. And now I don't know how long it needs to stay at this level or even go lower where you start to see some of that huge existing home inventory unlocked. And then it becomes more competitive. We'll see. But to me, I think, you know, I've been thinking that sentiment is just so huge in the home buyers, anything even remotely related. So something like Zillow, which I look at, um, Whirlpool, things like that. Anything also bad related to home building, also up. 
it's kind of extraordinary. And then, of course, Lowe's, Depot, Lowe's and Home Depot both up big. Uh, listen, this group is an accident waiting to happen. If you just think of, forget the last couple of days, it's up 50% in the last week. This is a Toll Brothers, a Lennar. This is a company that did $11. This is Toll Brothers um, in 2022. It was trading at $50. It closed today at $105. I don't care that it trades at a single-digit multiple. There's a reason for that, that they've always traded. So if you have this sort of euphoria in a group like this that has these weird supply-demand dynamics and then the interest rate dynamics and then now all of a sudden this is the thing that I think a lot of folks are kind of missing here we're talking about six rate cuts now why why are we going to cut six times next year what will that be in like to counterbalance there so if we do have you know all this data that's weakening is the cause of the rates to come in is the cause for this pivot and if it does go the opposite way just like it swung you know what I mean this way what is that going to be for a group like this that is front end loaded all of this stuff again $11 in earnings next or last year expected to be 12 and a half next year and you're up 50% in just six weeks that doesn't make a lot of sense. Coming up, more after-hours action this time in Costco. Shares on the move after reporting results. Details from the company conference call next. And is it time to get your feet wet? Shares of Foot Locker running higher after a bullish analyst call. What they see in the soul of this stock. Mm. You're watching Fast Money live from the Nasdaq market site in Times Square. Back right after this. For more than a decade, Comcast has been committed to bridging the digital divide and connecting millions to affordable high-speed Internet. But the barriers to get connected go well beyond affordability. Through Project Up, Comcast is committing $1 billion to reach millions with digital skills training, resources, and opportunities needed to succeed in a digital world. Project Up, building a future of unlimited possibilities. Learn more at Comcast.com slash Project Up. Welcome back to Fast Money. Foot Locker topping the tape, the athletic wear maker, seller, I should say, stomping 10% higher today after Piper Sandler called it the best turnaround story in retail. The stock was more than doubled, has more than doubled from its August low, but it's still down almost 17% this year. Does the shoe fit? Mm. <laughs> no uh, Karen. <laughs> yes, well, I have one slipper out, right? But um, I think that it, all of what they said, which is that the inventory problems that they had that have weighed so heavily on it will subside and that that will allow them to have better margins. All that is true. All that I think is reflected in the stock price already. After that terrible quarter, the stock went down to a 16 handle. So it is up almost 100% from there. Um, so I feel like the news is already in it. I wish, I mean, I, hope, I, I think Mary Dillon's great, but they are far, far, far from getting that lace-up plan going. Um, let's get to Costco now. Earnings out. Uh, the big box retailer reporting a beat on the top and the bottom lines. Conference calls underway. Some very interesting comments on inflation expectations. CNBC's Pippa Stevens has been on this call. Pippa. Hey, Melissa. Well, on the call just now, management said they saw year-over-year inflation in the range of 0 to 1% during the quarter, but noted deflation in certain products, including big and bulky items like furniture sets as well as TVs, in large part because of lower freight costs. Now, during the quarter, same-store sales were up 3.9%, excluding gas prices, with Costco saying that during the five days between Thanksgiving and Cyber Monday, sales were up in the mid-teens year-over-year. The retailer also announcing a one-time special cash dividend of $15 per share. Now, no word yet on whether the company will raise its membership fee after saying during the Q4 call that it was a question of when, not if. 
And one fun thing, Costco said it sold $100 million worth of gold bars during the quarter. Melissa? I thought you were going to give me a stat on rotisserie chicken. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe later. Thank you, Pippa Stevens. Um, And that goes to our gold conversation. Dan, you were saying that Costco is going to be particularly interesting to you. It seemed like a good report, on the surface at least. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, listen, you know, juxtapose against what the reaction to Walmart's results were about a month ago. That was a big gap from an all-time high. Um, you know, Costco seemed to be setting up in a similar manner. I saw that they did um, a special dividend of about 15 bucks. Obviously, investors um, like that, too. Um, again, I think also investors like the recurring nature. I think it's what low single digits of that membership sort of fee that they have there. But it doesn't seem like there's anything there that's going to cause you to say, you know, there's something wrong with that sort of consumer. But again, we've been talking about a trade down for these big box stores for about two years now. And clearly, they They've been a beneficiary of that, and that has not abated yet. The comments about inflation going down to zero to one percent, I thought, was really striking. I mean, it seems like quite a change, right, uh, in terms of the forecast. Well, I think the irony is you begin to wonder, does deflationary trends actually make it more difficult to pass along price to consumers? Is that when margins get hit? Now, I look at the chart. Uh, the chart's fine. I think the only risk is that the bar of expectation is considerably high from here. You have a very, very overbought stock. Nothing prevents a consolidation from 640 to 610 or 600. Probably would re-engage lower. The other thing that I thought was really interesting was that due to lower freight costs. Yeah. So this is, again, this issue of maybe this inflation coming down for not a demand reason, but a cost reason that, I mean, it was crazy last year. So are we going to see a lot more of that? Right. Yeah, I actually see that as improving their margins because that, that's what they're spending money on is those freight costs. And the, the, um, the, their membership fee, it, there, there's a 90% recurring rate of renewing that membership fee. It becomes an annuity. When you look at the stock compared to Walmart, they're up 38%. They've outperformed the entire group. Much smoother chart. I think you could, you're safe to still be buying Costco here. Coming up, is rate cut confidence getting overblown? Former FDIC Chair Sheila Baer will join us next to lay out why she says Wall Street's optimism is too much about Jerome Powell's next move. Where she stands on this matter next. And we're homing in on the pharma trade after some big moves in the space. Moderna surging as Eli Lilly and Novo Nordisk head lower where you should be in this trade when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks. Keep the good times going after yesterday's big rally, the Dow climbing more than 150 points, the S&P and Nasdaq both with modest gains. The major indices now on a six-day winning streak. Shares of Citi, meantime, getting a boost today, up nearly 2%. Wells Fargo Bank analyst Mike Mayo naming the stock a top pick in 2024, and that wasn't the only bank action worth noting. The KBE Bank ETF erasing all of its losses since the SVB collapsed back in March. The KRE also closing at its highest level since March. March 8th. And clearly, with rates coming down, it makes their assets look a lot better. It helps them in many ways, Karen. Mm-hmm. Sure, certainly the hold to maturity. Clear? Yeah, I don't know maturity. if it's clear, but that hold to maturity has been a big, big deal, which is why Bank of America has been outperforming, um, even though I, I still feel like it was a colossal mistake. But um, so that's been good. Pendulum swing too far. We know that. I'm not quite sure if that's what's happening here in the KRE. They do still have that potential deposit issue. Not Bank America, but some of the other regionals. But that's at the moment, nobody cares about that. All right. Well, a former FDIC chair suggests market optimism over lower rates is premature. She warns inflation is still a significant issue. Sheila Baer is known for running the FDIC during the financial crisis and the hot topic of inflation, making it into her children's money tale series. Her newest book, (laughs) Princess Persephone and the Money Wizards, coming out this fall. 
That sounds like a page turner, <laughs> Sheila. <laughs> I'll, I'll get one. I'll get one for my kids. Um, let's talk Absolutely. about this in terms of in terms of premature, because you know the implication of saying that that the turn in rates is premature implies that this run in banks is premature as well. Well, look, I think it's. I think that the focus still needs to be on inflation, and I think the Fed needed to strike a much more hawkish tone, if only to offset the irrational exuberance of the markets trying to, you know, create expectations that are significantly loosening uh, financial conditions at this point. So inflation's not, uh, you know, the Fed itself says that they're not going to hit target until 2026. Services, you've still got some pretty robust price increases. Housing's coming down a bit, rents at least, but not as much as we were hoping. So, yeah, there's a long way to go on this fight. And uh, I, I do worry they're blinking a bit and now starting to pivot and worry about recession when I don't see any of that risk in the data so far. That was a classic you know, problem that Arthur Burns made. It was, he, he, he was premature in lowering rates again because he was worried about recession. So I, I, I do think this is a mistake. I think they need to you know, keep their eye on the ball, the inflation ball. And, uh, and tame the market, not reinforce it with this uh, dovish, very dovish dot one. Uh, Ms. Baer, big fan of your comments over the years. When you look at what, where we are right now in the environment, if what's not being discussed is QT. So QT is going to be there right. until probably at least right. middle of next year, which still has some tightening uh, characteristics to it. And, right. and no one could agree upon how much tightening it is, whether it's 25 basis points or 50 basis points. That's happening in the background. Is that enough tightening in the background to alleviate your concerns where the Fed might be, you know, uh, quote unquote, well, taking their eye off the ball? I, I, I don't advocate. I don't think they should raise rates again. I think they should stay put. We've got good trend lines. We need to be patient and watch and see how this plays out. And you're absolutely right. There is still some tightening going on with the roll off of their uh, incremental roll off of the portfolio. And of course, uh, Real rates go up, too. If inflation goes down and, and your, you know, the Fed fund rates stay where it is, then then your real rates are also going up. So, yes, there is some tightening going on, even if they don't raise rates. But it, my concern is the prospect of significant lowering of rates in 2024. They need to continue to tighten a bit. Inflation has not been beaten. Uh, there's still some significant warning signs. We've got other dynamics, you know, this huge deficit spending Relentless demand for 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 uh, debt issuance by the Treasury. We've got you know uh, uh, trade restrictions. Uh, we've got an aging population. <laughs> we've got a lot of things going on. They're going to create potentially more supply constraints. So I don't see this battle anywhere close to being done. And yeah, I do think it's premature to send this kind of signal right now. Uh, hi, it's Karen. I was going to call you hi, Sheila, Karen. but then he called you Ms. Bear, and so now I really don't know what to do. But let me just ask you the question, um, which is Basel III, so new, new reg, oh, something gosh. you know a ton yes. about. Yeah. And there right. is a, just a huge amount of pushback. How do you think it shakes out at the end? So I, I think it's a very big package of rule changes that really don't aren't responsive to what's going on now. These were responsive to unfinished business during the great financial crisis, primarily around operation, uh, operational risk and market risk. I think the regulators, there's some good things in that package, some things that give me some concern. It's very complex. I think it'd be good if they broke it up and focused on the operational and market risk pieces of that. The credit risk changes, there are some improvements, but they don't really raise additional capital. This idea that Basel III is going to hit lending, credit risk charges, capital charges actually go down a bit. But the market risk in particular for the very large, complex banking organizations do a lot of trading, a lot of derivatives, 
lot of international operations, organizationally complex. The, the risk-based capitals really have never addressed that business model. And I think that's where they should focus in the near term. But break it off in pieces. It's just too big to do at once. And uh, the public doesn't understand it. The political support's not there. I, I think they need to regroup and, and try to do this in stages. Sheila, last quick question. I, I believe sure. the last time you were on the show, I asked you if you owned any bank stocks. And <laughs> I do not no. own any bank stocks. You said, I do okay. not. And I, I still I, do I, not. No, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't. Well, I, I, I'm in index funds, but I'm sure I have a okay. lot of bank stocks in them. No, no, I don't. And that's not that I'm averse to it. I think well-managed banks uh, that pay a regular dividend are, are, are fine stock holding, but I just, I do a lot of this kind of commentary and those, so I decided a while back not to have any bank stocks. All right. Sheila, thank you. Okay. We'll look for your new book. You're welcome. Sheila Baer, <laughs> former Bye-bye. FDIC chair. So I, I think that the interesting, you know, first of all, is it premature? And the implications, if you think that it's premature to pivot. There are a lot of other trades that sort of have to be unwound. Not have to be, but they look a little bit too lofty. I mean, I think if you had asked any of us a year ago, would the Fed be cutting rates with stocks at all-time highs or about to cut rates with stocks, we'd probably all say no. So I think right there is a reflection that a lot of this has happened in a very different environment than most expected, myself included. Yeah. Yeah, I I had thought that he was going to dress up or down, however you want to phrase it, the window. I didn't think uh, Chair Powell was going to talk about cutting rates until literally the day that they cut rates. So this was a shock to me that they're even discussing it now. But I always thought that they would have to they pigeonhole themselves. They painted themselves into into a corner because they had to be so tough on inflation that it was impossible for him to talk about actually cutting rates. Mm-hmm. So now everyone got pushed to the other side of the boat. And it, the, the reason why things are overextended is that the positioning on this was so grotesquely on the other side, and that was a creation of the Fed. All right, coming up, the not-so-magnificent seven. Apple finishing well off today's all-time highs. Is this a sign the red-hot trade is finally cooling off? We'll turn to the technicals. But first, Moderna making huge moves today on the back of positive cancer vaccine trial results. Could this jumpstart a stock that has struggled big time this year? More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Shares of Moderna climbing more than 9% following news of an experimental cancer, uh, skin cancer drug being developed with Merck cut the uh, deadly outcomes in half. The drug is being tested as part of a combo treatment with Merck's Keytruda. Uh, Michael Yeover Jeffrey is also saying that uh, this could allow Moderna to seek early approval of this uh, vaccine. The FDA today releasing data showing that the uh, drug cocktail cuts the risk of death or relapse from melanoma melanoma in half uh, over three years. Moderna is also testing the vaccine and Keytruda combination on other cancers like non-small cell lung cancer. Um, what's the take on the chart? I think if you're long, don't overstay your welcome. We've had a very, very sharp move in a short period of time. Frankly, the close today wasn't even that great. Uh, close basically on the lows uh, of the session. The 200-day moving average has been resistance on the stock for two years. It's been a downtrend for two years. I think the bar is really high to say this is more than a bounce. This is the start of a big trend change. I'm not there yet. In theory, if we're seeing um, rotation to value, we should see that rotation go into healthcare. Uh, and, and for a long time, it's only been Novo and Eli winning those dollars. Right. And and if you look at where the money is flowing into, it's too hard for anyone to pick the deal stocks. It's impossible for us to see the next takeout. But I think you're mostly better off buying an ETF in the biotech space because you're never going to be able to guess where the M&A is coming from. And either you buy the large cap or you buy the small cap. All right. Coming up, how about them apples? 
the tech titan Apple, that is, hitting a fresh all-time high today. Now at more than 15% since October, can Apple defy the recent MAG7 malaise? We'll check the charts. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple hitting a fresh all-time high in today's session, but pared back much of the gains at the close. Other so-called Magnificent Seven names also pulled back today. The group overall is just uh, up 1% in December, underperforming the broader market. So what is next for this group? Um, let's go to Chris on this one. I want to address this right off the bat because a lot of people, they, they take a call that they hear on the show. Yeah. They think it's a snapshot in time and it's written in, but it's, it, and they think it's written in stone when it's just that moment's call. Yeah. A year ago, it was just about a year ago, you said on the show to sell Apple. People mm. have latched onto that and said, Chris is wrong, Chris <laughs> is wrong, Chris is wrong. Um, can you sort of walk us through how your thinking sure. changed since then and where, where you see it going next? And clearly dead wrong from point to point. But we think about our work as wanting to be known for revising what we think when the facts right. change. And I think when you look at what Apple's done over the last year, certainly been a leader, as has the entire complex of these magnificent seven-type stocks. Now, Let's just be a little bit mindful that there does seem to be a tone change in what the market desires right now and what it's treating. And you kind of look at the Apple chart. It is, I think, the best of the Magnificent Seven charts. It's the one that's held up best here the last month or so. Um, doesn't mean it's not overbought. I think you could get a consolidation back to maybe 185 or 190. But I think the theme for 24 is uh, MAG7 is no longer monolithic. And you're beginning to see that with you know, what's on the relative low list is Google. Even Lily, not technically MAG7, but kind of in that category, that one has begun to roll over. Meta, maybe some cracks. Microsoft, some relative cracks. Those are relative changes which tend to precede price changes. Apple's the best of this group. Just be aware of the change in character of the market. Dan, what do you think of Apple these days? Um, I think it's fine. I mean, like, I think it's expensive. So it's, no one cares about Microsoft, I guess, and Apple, $6 trillion in market cap, trading at 34 times. And, you know, growth, you know, Apple's growth is not expected to be what Microsoft is. They don't even have the drivers that a Microsoft might have either, right? And so to me, it's, you know, Microsoft's probably more interesting on in a pullback than Apple. All right. Up next, final trades. Final trade time. Let's go around the horn. Chris. Southern Copper, SCCO, beneficiary of weak dollar. Karen. Yeah, I bought some Macy's yesterday. It's really more of an arm play. If real estate is what's driving this deal, lower rates is good for real estate. Uh, Dan. What Karen's Pfizer yes. in Karen's three-day rule. Oh. How about that? Which will right. be tomorrow. Well, I sold yes. Which some is also at, Okay, Take fine. some tax laws, but I still own some. Oh, yeah. You're going to buy some back. Here it is. All right. Steve. I'm going to go Tapestry. That's a value trade for me. It's popped from the uh, high 27s to mid-30s. All right. Thanks for watching Fast Money. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. What's on the horizon for financial markets? 
At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager.